So have you ever given anybody the benefit of the doubt? You know, given somebody the benefit of the doubt. You know, you, you call your husband and you ask him on the way home from work to, to pick up a gallon of milk, and he strolls in a little later with a gallon of orange juice. You might give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't hear you right, or you might give him the benefit of the doubt that his color blindness really is getting a lot worse than you thought. Or maybe your teenage daughter leaves her deodorant on the kitchen counter, and so you ask her to remove the deodorant from the kitchen counter, and, and then the next day you come back and the, and the deodorant's still there. Well, you might give her the benefit of the doubt that maybe when you were hollering up the stairs for her to remove her deodorant, maybe she didn't hear you. Or maybe she actually did move the deodorant and, and then took it back to the same place the next morning. You know, that's possible. Or, or maybe, maybe, just maybe, her, her deodorant is an alien. And the reality is, is, is that is the only place that that alien can go to phone home. That's a possibility that maybe is at least real in movies. Or maybe you tell your son, you holler upstairs, hey man, I need you to, to come empty the trash. The next night when you get there, the, the trash doesn't look any different. In fact, that, that empty box of pumpkin spice Twinkies is still hanging over the edge of the trash can. You might give him the benefit of the doubt that when you hollered upstairs, he had his earbuds in listening to his extra credit Spanish vocabulary words, and he didn't hear you tell him to take out the trash. You might give him the benefit of the doubt that, that maybe he did take out the trash, but 24 hours later, it was full again, and someone had eaten the second box of pumpkin spice Twinkies that happened to be in the pantry. So you might give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps you're in a restaurant, and you order the chicken fried steak. And the waitress comes back, and she has a plate with a piece of fried chicken and a plate with a grilled ribeye. You might give her the benefit of the doubt that she is an angel from heaven. That's possible. That's, that's possible. I would imagine all of us have given somebody the benefit of the doubt every now and then. We've, we've thought the best about that person. We believed that person. We considered that person was innocent until proven guilty of not being able to stand in the grocery store and tell the difference between orange and white. You know, we, we give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. And that's a good thing. In fact, giving the benefit of the doubt is a, a fantastic gift for us to give people. In fact, I would go so far as to say that as Christians, we should be known as people who give the benefit of the doubt more often than not. But there is a kind of doubt that is not a benefit. It's a kind of doubt that can cause problems in your life. It's the kind of doubt that will attack you. It will throw you off track. It will get you out of whack. It's the kind of doubt that will throw you off at the kitchen table in the morning. It's the kind of doubt that will throw you off in the classroom. It's the kind of doubt that can ruin things on the job site. It's the kind of doubt that can ruin things at the hospital. It's the kind of doubt that can ruin things in the voting booth. You see, it's a, it's a doubt that because of the nature of it, it'll break your spirit. It's the kind of doubt that'll strain your emotions. It will increase your worry, and it'll steal your joy. What kind of doubt is that? Well, we're going to see if Jesus can help us think through that. Look at Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 6. Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. 
Caviar is a culinary delicacy that can go from anywhere to $20 to $50 an ounce. Years ago, I was at a church potluck, and I took a dish of like a bean and corn medley. It probably cost about 20 to 50 cents an ounce. And the reason it was so cheap is because the name of the recipe was Poor Man's Caviar. Wasn't the real thing. It was the poor man's caviar. In A Christmas Carol, when Ebenezer Scrooge comes to his senses, he does not send a boy down to the poultry shop to get the prize sparrow. He tells him to go to get the prize turkey. And so in the time of Jesus, a sparrow was a poor man's turkey. The sparrow was a, a delicacy not for the rich, but a delicacy for the poor. It was a very cheap form of food. It was something that a poor man or poor woman or poor family could afford. It's kind of like it was, it was two sparrows for a penny. And if you got four, they'd throw in another one. So it's incredibly inexpensive. And so Jesus is standing in the middle of a crowd of people, thousands of people. And they're all pushing in and, and crowding on him. And in that moment, when he has this huge opportunity to speak to a crowd of people, Jesus starts talking about what they would have thought was one of the most insignificant things that you could buy at the market. In that moment, Jesus says, you know what? God knows every single sparrow that has ever existed. Now, I imagine somebody in that crowd, and, and maybe even one of you, is thinking, well, that's, that's just silly, right? I mean, that, that's not possible. I mean, no one could know every single sparrow. And it does. It sounds a little out there. And it sounds out there on purpose. It's supposed to sound out there. We are not inviting you to a nonprofit charitable organization. We are not inviting you to believe in a denomination or a building style or a preaching style or a music style or a style of clothes. We're not inviting you to believe in the friendliness of a congregation. We're not inviting you to believe in the personality of the preacher. We are inviting you to see and to know and to believe in the deepest part of your soul. That God is the first and the best being. That God himself is the one and only true living God. That he sent his eternal son, Jesus, to die for your sin. And that Jesus died on the cross. That he rose from the dead and conquered the authority and the power of death. And that Jesus has made a way, opened a door for you. A door for you to have the consequences of your sin dealt with in a good way. A door for you to have perfect life and perfect love and perfect hope and perfect joy and perfect peace. A door so that you could receive perfect freedom that lasts forever. A door so that things between you and God can be made right. That's what we invite you to. And what kind of God do we need to be right with? Just a, a nice old grandfatherly guy with a, a big white beard and a, and a big rocking chair on a, on a big porch up in heaven. Just passing out candy and telling everybody to come on up because nobody's really naughty. Everybody's really nice. No, that's, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that Jesus talks about. No, very calmly and very clearly in a, in a huge crowd of people, Jesus says that the one true living God knows every single sparrow that has ever existed on the planet. Every sparrow. 
that should both amaze us and it should also sound a little bit threatening to us, right? I mean, what kind of God has that ability? And if he has that ability, what else does he have the power to do? So imagine yourself, you're, you're in that crowd. There's, there's thousands of people, there. they're pushing, they're shoving, they're trying to get closer to Jesus, but, but you're already there. You're already close to Jesus. You, you have already started believing in Jesus. You've already started following Jesus. And so you're there, and you're hearing Jesus talk about sparrows. You know, those cheap things you can buy at the market. And so if you're in this crowd, you might be thinking, well, what in the world does any of this have to do with me? Well, Jesus is going to answer that question. Look at verse 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That's where you come in. See, God doesn't just know the sparrows. He knows you. It's been noted that the average person has 100,000 hairs on their head. The average redhead has 90,000. The average blonde has 140,000. And then there's some of us that on average are far below all of those numbers. And there are some of us that don't even have enough to create an average. So, so all of us are, are in a different place. But, but whether you have a, a, a thick lion's mane or, or whether you have a, a Caesar wreath that goes around the back or whether you have a striking resemblance to Elmer Fudd, no matter who you are, no matter what your hair looks like, don't miss what Jesus is saying. God knows you. He really, really knows you. Now, that should create a, a sense of amazing excitement and joy, and it also should sound a little bit threatening, right? Because if this God knows every single hair on every head of more than 7 billion people, and he can come up with that number in less than a billionth of a millisecond without using a calculator, and he's been doing that throughout human history, and will do it throughout human history. If that God knows that, then he knows how you spoke to your spouse this week. And he knows how you refuse to speak to your spouse this week. He knows how you smarted off at your mom or your dad this week. He knows what you did when the boss left the office. He knows what you did when the teacher left the classroom. He knows every thought that you've thought every second all week long. Yeah, that, that's the threatening part. That's the part that, that should unsettle us just a little. John MacArthur put it this way. If it is, God knows it. If, if it is, God knows it. So that should make us a, a little bit uncomfortable. So here's the question. Does it? Does it make you a little uncomfortable? Or are you already thinking about lunch? Are you still messed up, that the sound system messed up? Or, or can you dial into this concept that, that God knows all things? That if it's been said or done or thought, God knows it. If it is being said or being done or being thought right now in this room, Washington, D.C., or the farthest part of the globe, God knows it. That's who God is. And he's been doing that throughout eternity past, and he will do it for all times. It's who he is. Listen to these truths about God. 
Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every single place in the news today, watching the evil and the good, watching all things. <laughs> that'll bless your heart, right? <laughs> if you really start thinking about that, that, that'll unsettle you a little bit. Listen to this truth, Hebrews 10, verse 31. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So every place, watching all things, and God will judge all things that ever happen. And this might be that moment that you're thinking, boy, I'm sure glad I came to church today. Man, I mean, I've been hoping all week someone would scare me out of my wits. Yeah, I, I was hoping all week someone would tell me to be terrified to ever think or talk or post again. Yeah, I've, I've been looking for that. But don't check out on me just yet. It is very true that God is full of perfect wrath and perfect justice. It is very true that God will never ultimately and completely ignore sin. He will always deal with sin. He will always deal with evil. He may not deal with it the way we would, and he may not deal with it according to our timetable, but God will ultimately deal with all sin and all evil. He will deal with it. And yes, one of the most terrifying things in the universe is to wake up on the other side of death and realize that God is not this nice, sweet Santa Claus sitting on the front porch, passing out candy and listening to country music. But he is holy and he is unswervingly just. It's who he is. But there's another way to wake up on the other side of death. There's another way to wake up every morning. There's another way to, to lay your head down at night. And it goes a little like this. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. See, that, that's the other way to wake up on the other side of death. That's the other way to, to wake up in the morning and to go to bed at night, knowing that the very essence of what it means to be a Christian is to be loved by God, to be, be pursued by God, and to be strongly, strongly supported by God. This is who he is. F.B. Meyer puts it this way. At a glance, he takes in our position, not a sorrow not a trial or temptation visits us without exciting his notice and his loving sympathy. In all the whole wide earth, there is not one spot so lonely, one heart so darkened as to escape those eyes. If you are not a believer and follower of Jesus, I want you to know the eyes of the Lord are upon you. And that should unsettle you a little bit. And if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, I want you to know the eyes of the Lord are upon you too. And that also should, should unsettle you just a little bit. But if you're a believer, that should also uplift you. That should also excite you. That should also stir in you a, a happiness and a joy that you literally can't describe because it's beyond your imagination. And why? Why is it that we should be stirred with such a joy, such an excitement? Well, Jesus tells us. Listen to what he says next in verse 7. Do not fear 
you are more valuable than many sparrows. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be alarmed. Do not be intimidated. Fear not, Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Why? Why should we not be afraid? Because Jesus says that you are more valuable to God than millions of sparrows, and he knows every single sparrow that has ever existed. That is crazy. (laughs) That's a a care that we can't really describe in human terms. The intensity of that love and that care goes beyond anything that we know or experience. See, the reality is the, the unique and loving care that I would have for my wife is not something I would have had before I met her. Because I didn't know she existed. I didn't know who she was. The unique loving care I would have for my my children is not something that I would have first because they didn't exist. I I didn't know them. They they weren't there. So so those things came after I knew them. But see, God, he's, He's different. His loving care, His unique loving care, it's infinite. It has no end. It has no beginning. It's it's the nature of who He is. He has always cared, he is always caring, and he will always care. It's who he is. My wife's love for me is dependent primarily and first on, you know, my rugged good looks. Thank you, Harold. Because, you know, truth of the matter is, if it weren't for my rugged good looks, she, she would have walked right on by me. Yeah? Man, she would have missed me. Look, look at all she'd miss out on. If, if it weren't just for that, you know, one thing, it was dependent on that. Now, truth be told, the first time my wife saw me, she thought I was a dork. And she was right, but I'm working on it. I'm, I'm getting there. You see, what we have Jesus speaking to us is, is something that we, we need to catch. We, we really need to get. Because what he's communicating is this. God's love is not dependent on the sparrow. God's love is not dependent on my looks or my works. God's love for me is not dependent on my looks or my works. And God's love for you is not dependent on your looks or on your works. You see, God's love first and most, it's dependent on him. It's dependent on his character. It's dependent on on his love. We see this throughout history. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. That's nice, right? God didn't set his love on the Hebrew people because they were cool. They were nobodies. The New Testament says this way. God didn't set his love on us because we're cool. We're dead in our sins when God sets his love on us. So why did God set his love on the Hebrew people? Listen to verse 8. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath with which he swore to his forefathers. This is great. See, God set his love on the Hebrew people because of his perfect character. See, he made a promise. He made a a covenant. He made an oath. And it is impossible for him to break any of his covenants and any of his promises and any of his oaths. 
my sweet friend Judy lost her mom last Sunday morning. Her mom is a believer, so she's with Jesus. But I texted her this morning. She always texts me and encourages me and prays for me during the week. And I texted her this morning and I said, I hope you're able to worship today knowing that every promise God has ever made to you is true. It can't be changed. It can't be altered. It will happen. See, this is the character of who God is. So he didn't set his love on the Hebrew people because of them. He did it because of him. And he set his love on the Hebrew people just because he did. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. The, the math is easy. I don't, I don't need Google Maps for that. I love others. I love God primarily because I know nothing about love except for God is love and he loved first. So what does this first kind of love look like? What does that mean that he loved first? Just a few sentences back, John wrote this. 1 John 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. See, God didn't accidentally send Jesus to Bethlehem. Jesus didn't take a, a wrong turn somewhere around Jerusalem and accidentally end up on a cross dying for my sin and your sin. No, on purpose, because of his character, because of his love, God sent his eternal son to rescue you from sin. And because of his love, because of his character, Jesus laid down his life and absorbed all of the penalty for your sin and for my sin. He died to rescue us because of his character and because of his love. Listen, if, if you are a Christian and you haven't felt this lately, I want you to know you are very valuable to God. I love how Sevilla D. Martin said it. You've heard it. Now listen to the words. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should my heart be lonely? Whenever I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give peace place to sign, when hope within me dies. Ever been there? So what did she decide to do in that moment? I love what she writes. I draw the closer to him. From care, he sets me free. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on those millions and many sparrows that just cost a penny. And so I know he watches me. Jesus says, fear not. He says, fear not. Why? Because the God who is the first and best being, the God who loved first, the God whose love is everlasting, the God who owns the whole world and created the whole world, the God who sent his eternal son to die for the whole world, that God has never changed. And that God will never change. And his love is, is not influenced outside of his character. And the very nature of who he is means that he cannot break a promise and he cannot break a covenant. And his love 
is perfect. Perfect. We cannot find that love at home. We cannot find that love at school. We cannot find that love at work. We can only find that love in the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's where perfect love is. Listen, I understand that that you might doubt the current state of our government. And you might doubt the current slate of our political candidates. You might doubt the current curve of the economy. You might doubt the leadership of your boss. You might doubt the grading of your teacher. You might doubt the capability of your doctor. You might doubt the wisdom of your lawyer. You might doubt the emotional attitude of your spouse. You might doubt the emotional stability of your teenager. You might doubt the emotional responsibility of your own heart. But dear friend, if you are a Christian, then do not doubt the relentless love of God. Don't doubt the one who was and is and is to come. Don't doubt the one that according to everything that Jesus tells us always has his eye on you. Therefore, his love is always directed at you. And if you have a cheap, watered-down view of God that doesn't include that, then ditch it in the dumpster on your way out today and grab hold of this great and awesome picture of God who knows millions and millions of sparrows and knows the hairs on your head. He knows you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. And our God is higher than any other. It's who he is. And so in the middle of a big, huge crowd of people, always wanting some new cool word from whoever the new cool guy was floating through town, wanting some hope because some of them, their heart did feel dead. Their spirit was broken. And so in the middle of of that crowd, Jesus, talking to his closest followers, he tells them about sparrows. Sparrows. Why? Because he wanted them to know and see that, that they needed to start looking in the mirror every day and telling themselves again, fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be alarmed. Do not be intimidated. Because this is your God and he loves you. So what do we do with this stuff? And what do we do with all this stuff about the hairs on our head and, and the sparrows? What, what are we supposed to, to do with this this week? Justin Buzzard is a pastor out in California, husband, father, author. About seven years ago, he wrote a, a really interesting article. And the title of the article was this, Three Truths That Change Your Life. And these were the three truths that he gave. God is sovereign, God is wise, and God is good. God is sovereign, God is wise, and God is good. This is what he says. I imagine in these uncertain times, Satan is quick to attack many of you, quick to tempt you to view God through your circumstances. Anybody feeling that way heading into Tuesday? So this is what he says. (laughs) Fight back. When you wake up in the morning, when you feel anxious or discouraged, when you're driving home from work, preach to yourself. God is sovereign. God is wise. God is good. 
Say this to yourself over and over again. Choose to live by faith rather than by sight. And then he says this, forget your past. Forget how you used to operate, how you used to be a prisoner to your circumstances and your feelings. Build your life on the truth. Preach more gospel to yourself. He says this, doubt your old doubts. Doubt them. And saturate yourself in the scriptures. Let your imagination begin to be filled with true images of God. See him as sovereign. See him sitting on his throne, wise and good. And then he says this, see Jesus. Behold what Jesus did for you at the cross. Listen, never again think of yourself or your problems or your plans without Jesus and his blood shed for you in clear view. Never, never again think of yourself or your problems or your plans without Jesus. Let the Spirit sanctify you and your brain chemistry as you rebuild your life on a true vision of God. And this is the true vision of God. God is sovereign. God is wise. God is good. His eye is on the sparrow. And his eye is on you. This is what Paul said to the church at Rome. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he just kept writing. And when he got to the end of the page, he said this in verse 31. God is for us. Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who, what could possibly be against you? And dear Christian, I want you to know, God is for you. God is for you. The one true living God, the first and best of all beings, he is for his own. That's what you do with the sparrows and the hares this week. You go and preach to yourself, my God is wise, my God is sovereign, my God is good, and he is for me.